So welcome to everyone watching Palm Bay and the land. We're so glad that you're there. Now, we're going to start off. I'm just going to warn you up front. Okay, this is called manipulation. All right, now I don't know if it counts as manipulation if I tell you in advance. I think that sort of lightens the blow. But conviction, maybe that's a better word. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to try to manipulate your emotions because it's with our emotions that we get things done. You don't fall in love with somebody because of their brain. You fall in love because of your heart. And the same thing goes with our commitment to Jesus, our faithfulness to God. And we get motivated by things that move our emotions. And so I'm going to start with this, this picture. If you don't want to be manipulated, just close your eyes for about one minute and then you'll not be manipulated. Okay, here we go. All right, so... In 1973, there was a huge drought across Africa. Uh, food, water, you name it, because of the drought. Uh, grasshoppers, locusts, eating everything. This is the cover of National Geographic. And um, the guy that took this picture won all kinds of awards, but he never knew it. Because a week after he took the picture, he took his own life. This is what I've always wondered about that story. Was he not able to handle it because of what he saw or because of what he saw and what he didn't do? Because there's a big difference between the two. So I want you to know, I know you saw the video at the beginning. This is what sub-Saharan Africa looks like. Nobody's making this up. This is, this is what it looks like. If you, if you are in an AIDS village, and we're talking millions of children, we're not talking about three kids, okay? This is the real deal. This is why we push so hard. I know some of you sponsor kids. Some of you sponsor lots of kids. So do I. Uh, but I'm asking you to step up. Um, $40 is what it costs. $40 a month, that's food, clothes, education, and the gospel. Uh, you're literally changing a child's life. They're ready to start another one. They're ready to go to a whole new city and start again, but they've got 57 kids that they've got to get covered. And we'll give you a free shirt. It looks like this. It's, I feel like that kid from the Shriners. And we'll give you a nice blanket if you sign up today. Uh, but um, it is a cool shirt. has the world on it. Um, but this isn't going to motivate you. It's going to be your heart that motivates you. Maybe a couple of you have to go together and sponsor a kid. I don't know what that looks like. Um, I'm just telling you, we believe in it. And I was very happy. My wife was the first one out there last night to pick up another kid. And uh, we have far more around the world than we have in our own house. So that's okay. That's okay. All right. You feel manipulated fully? You good? Yeah. All right. Let's move on. All right. When I was a kid... <clears throat> uh, it was a big, big deal. If you guys are, are young, you're used to getting everything given to you. You're used to everything going easy. When we were growing up, everything was a big deal because there weren't many deals. Am I right? Anybody that's in their 50s? Everything was a big deal because we didn't have a lot of deals. It was a big deal to go to the donut shop. Am I right? There weren't donuts everywhere you turned around like there are now. You went to the donut shop. And you would get this donut that was covered in this icy goodness and filled with raspberry wonderfulness. Anybody remember that? Oh, it was money. Life didn't get any better than that. You can tell I like donut shops. But just an amazing, amazing deal. And then, you know, I was pretty smart, I thought. And I knew that 12 
You know, some people call 12 a dozen. And then my dad explains to me, a baker's dozen. <clears throat> I'm like, what's up with that? <coughs> well, this is, you know, just the way that baker says thank you, blah, blah, blah. So a baker's dozen's 13. I said, oh, okay. Well, last week, Luann and I decided that we were tired of buying honey, that we were going to start raising bees. <laughs> Let me at least get to my story, would you? <laughs> we decided that we were going to start raising bees so we'd have our own honey. So I don't know anything about bees, so I went out to a guy and said, I don't know, what do you do? I said, give me 12 bees. Figured that's a, I figured that's a good way to start, right? Just get 12. And So I get home, 13 bees in the bag. So I called him up. I said, look, I only paid for 12 and I got 13. He said, that's a freebie. <laughs> if you need to go now, just sponsor a child on your way out. <clears throat> All right, let's get into Colossians chapter 2. Remember, Paul writes to this church... And he tells them how right they are. One of the very few times he does that, when he writes to the church and said, you, you guys are right on target. You love the Word of God. You are sharing the Word of God. You have planted churches all over the world. And remember, Paul doesn't even know who they are. They're in central Turkey. Paul did not plant the church. He does not know the people. But he's writing to them and saying, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And then he just gives them a little more teaching to make them stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2. If you'll stand with me. There is so much here. <clears throat> just in 6 to 15. This, this is enough to change your life forever. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, notice the word is not Savior there. You did, you did accept him as your Savior, but when you made him the Savior, you made him Lord, which means he's in charge of your life, your wife, your money, your job. Continue to live Continue to live your lives in Jesus, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Pay attention to that phrase, the elemental spiritual forces of this world. So there are spiritual forces in this world, but they're preschool stuff, rather than on... Christ Jesus. For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Jesus you are also circumcised. Circumcision is the picture of the old being cut off with a circumcision that not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers, the authorities, 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You can be seated. So he writes to this church to encourage them, to remind them that the battle's already been won, the victory's already been won. Jesus took it all to the cross. He took our indebtedness, our sin nature. He took all of it, canceled the law code, canceled the sin. All of it died on the cross for everyone who will accept it. He said, now what do you need to do? He says, just like you accepted Jesus as your Lord, stay in him and be rooted. You see that phrase? Get out your Bibles. Don't trust me. Stay rooted. Here's the problem that so many Christians have. They don't put down roots. So when difficulty comes, and I will fully accept the fact that you've been lied to by a lot of really bad preachers that have told you that if you become a Christian, you won't have any bad days. That's just a flat lie, okay? When you're a Christian, there's a bullseye on your back. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 11, he said, you will be persecuted because of, because of me. So if you're following Jesus, you're going to have hard times. <coughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have marriage problems. Really? I didn't get that memo. Well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have financial problems. I didn't get that memo. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have health problems. I didn't get that memo either. No, as a Christian, you face everything the world faces and some more because you're committed to Jesus Christ. What makes us stand? The roots. The roots. You see, a tree is beautiful up top, but that's not where the strength of the tree is. If you've ever been to California, it's a shame I have to go to California to see these trees. But if you've ever been to California and you've been out in the redwoods or the sequoias, it's incredible. How many of you have ever seen them? Yeah, okay. All right, good. You should go. Um, there's nothing like it. Because what do you compare it to? Well, let's see. There's the oak tree in my yard uh, times a thousand. I mean, there's, there's no way, there's nothing to compare it to. When you're standing there, no matter what you've been told, you don't get it. You know why those trees are there? They're over 2,000 years old, by the way. I'm convinced that they once covered the entire earth. And that's what trees look like at the beginning. And there are trees like that in Australia. There's trees like that throughout Southeast Asia. Nothing like what we have on the West Coast. But I'm convinced that originally that's what all the trees looked like. All right? Because God's putting on a show. So these trees are 2,000 years old. How in the world do they make it 2,000 years? The answer is very simple. The root system. As tall as a tree is, you know this, the roots go just as deep. But with these redwoods, they're very unique. They interlock. So way underground, three or four hundred feet underground, there are branches bigger than the branches that are up on the tree. And those branches are underground and they're all wrapped around with other redwoods. So for a redwood to come down, you're going to have to take down the whole forest. That's why when fires come, they stand. That's why when winds come, they stand. That's why when drought comes, they stand. Because their roots are so deep, they'll pull, pull water from the middle of the earth if they have to. Or they'll just hang together. <clears throat> but those redwoods are indestructible because of their network. 
Now listen, next weekend, we have our group link. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to come in between uh, Sunday morning services right here. Also be in Palm Bay and the land. Group link is where you get connected with some group, a Bible study group, a prayer group, a serving group, where you are connected because the roots are the key. Because sometimes, yes, I need deep roots. The deep roots are mine. That's my commitment to the Word of God. That's my commitment to prayer. That's my commitment to serving. That's my commitment to sponsoring children. Those are the roots I'm putting down deep. But if they just go straight down, if the right kind of wind came, pull that tree right out of the ground. Everybody in Florida has watched that happen. You're like, no way you can move a tree like that. Well, yeah, God could. Just a little wind. And God rips an oak tree right out of the ground. The key is the interconnectedness. And a lot of people in church don't get this. See, the roots need to go deep, but they also need to wrap around each other so that we're holding on to each other and we're supporting each other. And when you go through a hard time, you've got three people there in that group holding you up. When, you, when they're going through a hard time, you're there for them. That's why the group is so important. That's why the church is so important. Because we need that connection together. Is it any wonder... That with this current mess, the world is trying to keep the church from meeting. Now, you can protest. You can destroy cities. You can celebrate basketball championships. You can protest at the Supreme Court. But you can't go to church and worship God. Because that could be a super spreading event. I'm not minimizing. I just want you to think about this. Governor Newsom in California, not only did he ban church attendance... He banned any home Bible studies. Do you think this is about COVID? Because you can still go to Walmart. These are just things I think about late at night. All right? Just think about that. Because if you can mess up the root structure, you'll mess up the whole tree, my friends. It's very simple. All right? So the roots are essential. Jeremiah chapter 17. Check this out. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. It bears fruit even when things are going wrong. Why? Because of the root structure. Because of the root structure. Psalm 1-3, the greatest passage about roots is, is Psalm 1. It's, you should memorize Psalm 1, be done with it. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Because the roots are right. If the roots are right, if you put down roots, and this is what happens. People come to church for a while, even people I know have been to church for a long time, but they never put down any roots. <clears throat> And a little storm comes along. See, God doesn't love me. I used to go to church. This happened in my family. This happened with my kids. This happened. Well, where are the roots? Well, I went to church. Okay, you came to church for 45 minutes, two times a month, if it fit your schedule. And you're wondering why you're struggling. No, you put down roots... And when the storm hits the redwoods, the redwoods just stand there, my friends. And they wait for the storm to pass. And after the storm passes, they grow some more. Am I making my point? 
Put down roots. The second part of that, however, the key to putting down the roots is to avoid captivity. He specifically warns the church. He says, look out and do not allow yourself to be taken as a slave to vain and hollow philosophies or the shallow spiritual thinking of this world. If you take a look at what's going on, somehow being spiritual in today's world, we just change the wording so it looks like this is a good thing. We change the wording so it looks like killing an unborn child is a good thing. It's reproductive rights. No, no, it's killing a child. Did you see the story that there was a a guy, I don't don't remember the state, I didn't write it down because I thought, I just don't need to remember. His child died in his car because he just bought a brand new car, locked his kid in the car, and he refused to let anybody break the windows because he had a new car. This happened last week. When the culture gets to a point where it can't decide whether the child's life and your new car, which one's more important, you've got one screwed up culture. Well, we're right in the middle of it, my friends. And Franklin Graham said it this way. He said, God, everybody's crying out to God to bless America. And he said, God is not able to bless a country that openly kills unborn children. He said, until we repent of that issue, all right, somebody a little more important than me, Franklin Graham. He said, listen, there's one issue holding us back with God. How do you expect God to bless when we slaughter 40 million unborn children a year and call it morality? I know I'm, I know we're into deep water here, but that's okay. I want you to think. He said, do not get caught up with the philosophies of the world. The old saying, old preachers used to say in the morning, you get up, you read the newspaper and the Bible, then you know what both sides are up to. But the church has become way too much like the newspaper and not nearly enough about the Bible. And it's high time we start drawing our words from the Word of God, not from the vain philosophies in our culture. 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in one place, Paul says, do not allow yourself to be taken captive. In another place, he said, you make sure you take things captive to Christ. What would Jesus do about this? What would Jesus say about this? How would Jesus handle this? Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Are you ready for this? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Because guess where Satan goes to work? When he wants to do take you captive, he starts with your mind, he moves to your heart, your heart controls your actions. I've often wondered, what, what is the end goal? What is the end goal of all the destruction that we're seeing going on around our country today? Well, that's the end goal, my friends. John 8, 44 and 45, Jesus said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You got that? <coughs> what? Is, what? Is, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going on. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? I came to bring you a fresh one. Thank you very much. Just an anti-cough in it. 
<clears throat> Thank you. Jesus said, I came to bring you life. It's in the same chapter. It's in John chapter 8. Satan has one purpose. So how do I identify what Satan's doing? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about that. And Jesus comes to bring life. Think about that. Put down roots. Avoid being trapped by the conspiracies of the world. And then remember this. Kingdom principles are always very, very different than worldly principles. When the world's telling you something, you need to step back and say, wow, what does God say about this? I need to consider this. I need to reload my mind and, and ask myself, what is God really saying about this particular issue? Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're dealing with. What's God say about marriage? What's God say about money? What does God say about parenting? What's God say about illegal drugs? See, the problem is, we have a hard time putting down roots and avoiding all the stuff that's going on around us if we're in the middle of doing all the stuff we shouldn't be doing. That's why he writes to them and reminds them, guys, don't forget who you are. All that you are, all of that bad that we once were, was nailed to the cross. It was, it was there. And we have this picture, at least I do, it's like a tack hammer. We're just tacking that little sign up there, paid in full. No, it was a vicious day where Jesus was beaten and whipped and there's blood everywhere. And he's, and he's nailed with the pikes through his wrist. And he suffered. But it wasn't so much the physical suffering as it, as it was the fact that he was taking all of our sins collectively, the whole world, onto himself. Every sexual act, every murder, every harsh word, every bad deed, every drug deal, all of it was put on Jesus and it was finished at the cross. So no matter where you are, what you've done, Jesus paid the penalty if you will accept him. So if you're Palm Bay to land here in the campus, you come over here to the right, it says decision. Accept Jesus. People will be there to help you. How do I become a Christian? This is our weekend when we baptize. And we do this. We, we baptize all the time, but once a month we have a special day. So Palm Bay Deland uh, will have their own. You can talk to David and Michael. Here we'll be at Andy Romano Park at six o'clock. If you need to be baptized, some of you need to get out of bed and be at Andy Romano Park at six o'clock. Jesus paid the price. It's amazing. How many people look at the cross and not only don't accept it, but mock it, make fun of it. I'm scared for people. When I watch people mock Jesus and mock the cross and mock Christianity, I'm like, you all don't know what you're doing. You have no idea the danger you're putting your soul into. But by the same token, if you just sit here and never put down roots, and never truly grab a hold of what Christianity looks like, you're not much further ahead. All right, let me switch gears. Let's go to an elephant. This is our fun fact for the day. An elephant is quite an interesting animal. Wouldn't you admit? There's nothing like the elephant. And God designed the elephant. You know why? So you and I would look at the elephant and go, Wow, what a God. 
But we live in a time when the world looks at the elephant and says, wow, what an elephant. Now, that's not the purpose of the elephant. Let me help you out. You and I, you know, they talk about elephants having great memories. Like if you treat an elephant bad, one day he will come and crush you. He will never forget. You treat an elephant well, he'll never forget. He will always take care of you when the time comes. Um, but it's more than just what's going on in the brain, right? You and I have a few hundred sensory things going on. Like you can taste salt, you can taste sweet, you can smell flowers. An elephant's trunk, at the end of his trunk, the elephant has his sensors too. Just like you and I can smell something. How many sensors do you think an elephant has? 50,000. 50,000. Evolution's amazing. At the end of an elephant's nose, God put 50,000 different receptors. An elephant never forgets a smell. He never forgets a taste. He never forgets anything he sees because he's got more receptors going on than you and I could ever possibly imagine. And God designed that elephant so you and I would go, what a God. And you got to decide, am I going to go, what an elephant or what a God? You know, this generation, <clears throat> generation scares me for multiple reasons. They eat uh, Tide Pods and other things. Now, my generation did a lot of weird things too, but we didn't post it. All right, I'm just telling you that. All right. Um, but the latest one <clears throat> is, you know, everybody's taking selfies and they keep dying. You, you, listen, I'm just, I'm helping you. If you're young, do not take a selfie with a buffalo. It's not wise. Your chances of living, slim. Okay? Do not take a selfie with yourself standing on the very rim of the Grand Canyon. It will not end well. You'll have an early fall. All right? I'm just telling you how this works. And a lady this last week, if you've ever been out to Yellowstone, they've got the geysers everywhere. She broke into Yellowstone. It was closed. She broke in, went to one of the geysers. There's signs out there saying the water's, what, you know, 3,000 degrees or whatever it is. She was taking a selfie of herself in front of the geyser, and she fell in. Yeah, it didn't end well. And sometimes I wonder if people really don't understand how hot hell is. I think sometimes people think, ah, you know, go to hell, get a picture taken. I'll dance with my friends. It won't be that big a deal. You get to decide. Wow, what an elephant. Wow, what a God. Father, I pray today that you would move in hearts. It starts with the head, but it's got to get to the heart. It's got to get to our emotions. There are people here that need Jesus. There are people watching that need Jesus. People in Palm Bay and the land. There are people around the world. You're going to have to find somebody to baptize you today because you're watching and you're like, oh, I can't get there. You're in another country. It's all right. You accept Jesus. Get baptized and start putting down the roots. Father, we've got so many battles that we're waging because the elementary forces of this world are fighting all around us. But we know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world that we have overcome. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.